This is Oklahoma football. All right, here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Mainline Podcast on this beautiful Thursday, April 1st. Happy April Fool's, guys. Uh, got a lot to get to tonight. It's going to be a pretty good show. A lot of stuff going on around the world in sports, and especially right here in Norman, Oklahoma. A lot of a lot of storylines, a lot of developments happening right here at OU, so let's just kind of dive right into it. I've got the, the entire gang here. Adam, Corbin, what's going on, guys? How are you? The polls are closed, Tyler, and the results are already in. We'll talk about that here in a minute. <laughs> yeah, I think we all had a better week than Tyler did. Yeah, if uh, if anybody else was privileged to seeing what was going on in the group chats, um, it was it was a tough week uh, for for Tyler. But we'll we'll touch on that here in a second. I think I'm still in the right. I got two guys that completely disagree with me, and looking by some of the results on Twitter and Scoop, um, I'm in the minority on it. But I'm going to die on this hill. So, uh, but yeah, let's uh, kind of start off right here. Some updates going on right here in Norman OU Athletics, and guys, we still have two. Uh, coaching vacancies that are still open um, down at the LNC, something that Joe C's, you know, tentatively working on right now, trying to get that wrapped up as soon as possible. Not really much to touch on as far as the women's position goes, so let's start um, over on the men's side of things. And, Corbin, we had a report come out today uh, earlier this afternoon from Jeff Goodman saying that it kind of seemed like there were two candidates that have kind of uh, emerged to the forefront in his coaching search for OU, and it looks like Joe C is set to – uh, kind of interview Loyola Chicago's, you know, Porter Mosier and North Texas's Grant McCaslin. So just kind of what are your thoughts on them and kind of the direction um, that this OU coaching search is going towards? Uh, I think McCaslin's probably heading to Tech, if I had to guess. Um, that's kind of been the rumor mill for a while. I, I still think the most logical option is Qantas White or um, Kellen Sampson out of Houston. I think that there's been – it's almost been so quiet – there, there seems to be a reason that that's the case. Houston, obviously, still in the Final Four, playing Baylor Saturday night. I would love them to win to ruin some other brackets of some friends around me, um, but most likely Baylor's going to knock them out. And I think at that point, you might start hearing some rumblings out of those two assistants down in Houston, and I think that's probably the way they go. I look at the two guys in Houston. I think that's the most exciting route for me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a huge college basketball nerd, so I can't say I'm super plugged in and know what's going on at North Texas or or even Loyola for that matter. And both those guys would bring some head coaching experience. But I think with the guys from Houston being both former players uh, at OU, they know a little bit more of you know what they're stepping into here. And I think that could prove you know vital for the relationships, building the program, the fan interest, um, and just overall success. So. I think those would be a little bit more exciting for me just as, as a, co- a casual college basketball fan. I'm kind of in a, in agreement with what you guys are thinking, but just kind of one point that I want to touch on with, you know, Porter Moser out of Loyola, Loyola Chicago, obviously, you know, Sister Jean, we've all, you know, we've all been fans and witnessed the incredible run that they've had the past couple of years. If there was ever a time where his stock is going to be any higher than it is right now, chance to maybe take a job. Um, then this might be that tie for Porter Mosier. But, no, I, I agree with you guys. Uh, the two guys down in Houston, Kellen Sampson, maybe, you know, he, he comes in. Some youth can kind of, you know, put some excitement back into the program. Um, not not saying that Lon, you know, wasn't already bringing that to begin with, but getting some younger blood in there. Maybe he brings Hollis Price uh, up here to Norman and having those two guys back in that locker room, I think could be could be pretty fun and 
uh, would be a good reason to put some put some fans in some seats. But uh, again, it's it's almost I don't know if coincidental is the right word, but it's almost you know. It, it, it sounds too good to be true. The fact that it has been so quiet on this coaching front that maybe, you know, maybe that is true. All we're waiting is for Houston's run to come to an end uh, this weekend. And then we have our new coach coming up here to Norman. So, uh, but guys, one other big thing that has kind of maybe thrown a wrench into the coaching search is the fact that Chris Beard is leaving Texas Tech and going down to Austin to replace Shaka Smart. That now opens up a, a really good job out in Lubbock, Texas. So, just kind of what were your guys' thoughts, Corbin, starting with you with uh, now there being another vacancy open uh, in the Big 12? Kind of feels like a little, little deja vu down in Austin, right? I mean, what, four years ago we were super excited about Shaka and Herman coming to town, and that's all you heard is that Texas is going to run away with everything in both sports, and certainly that hasn't worked out the way it uh, – the way they had envisioned it. So, you know, we're back to this where the excitement's back. And I actually, I, 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 I like both hires, but it's, it's hard not to tap the brakes a little bit. Maybe that's the bias in me of like, Hey, is this actually going to work? But, but yeah, I think you're spot on. I think uh, the Texas tech job is, is a great spot, but you know, with, with Chris Beard there. And I think also with um, Porter Mosier at uh, Loyola Chicago, I, I just wonder if that's kind of, kind of the, the right fit at the right time at the right program for those coaches. That's why they're having that success. I, I don't know. You, you take Porter Mosier and send him Norman. I, I don't know if that's going to like change the program and get us on what Loyola has been doing. So, um, so yeah, I, I wonder, you know, if, if Chris Beard's a, a product of being at the right place, at the right time with the right players, or if he's going to be able to continuously bring that to success to Texas, which they haven't done in quite some time on the basketball front. So time will tell. I look at this move from Texas Tech to Texas for Chris Beard as something that can probably be a positive for OU because over the last couple of years, Texas Tech has been a better program than Oklahoma. And traditionally, that is not not usually the case. Usually going to Lubbock is a little bit of an easier road trip. And so I'm hopeful maybe that can return on the schedule for OU uh, because it's going to be tough to get some coaches out there that are going to be good uh, to follow Chris Beard. You know, they just had a bunch of guys transfer out. So they're definitely going to take a step back. Now you could look at it on the flip side and say Tech has a, a great, uh, you know, brand new arena, less than I think five years old. And so that could potentially draw someone that is also considering the OU job out to Lubbock instead of to Norman. So we'll see if that has an impact there. But I think overall, it makes the path easier for OU in the Big 12 because now we may not have to go through Texas Tech. And by all accounts, we think that Texas sports in general are kind of held in check. They're, they're not going to achieve super high levels of success because of all the you know, off-the-court factors that are going on down there. I think that this move by Chris Beard leaving Texas Tech, I think he's walking into a really good situation down in Austin. The fact that they are are opening up a brand new multi-million dollar uh, arena for their basketball program. They are set to have some pretty good players returning. And as you know, being down there in that Austin area, so close to Dallas, so close to Houston, I mean, that's that's ideal recruiting territory. And there's some really good basketball being played at the high school level in that part of Texas. But um one of the things when we were kind of looking back at this, you know, the, the the hype that's been around all these coaches that have come into Texas, we all know about Charlie Strong in football, Tom Herman in football, Shaka Smart, guys that were, you know, kind of at the height of their career, the height of their coaching career and getting some really good performances and consistency out of their basketball teams. They come to Texas and 
it's it's the exact opposite. Their winning percentages, you know, head, head south on, on all three of those guys. So that, that's definitely going to be one thing, not just with Sarkeesian on the football front, but now that Chris Beard is taking the basketball job down there in Austin, that's going to be one thing to figure out because they're going all in on this guy. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, Chris Beard was making close to $5 million in uh, at Texas Tech. We all know from the report that came out earlier today that whenever Texas made the offer to Chris Beard, that was a dollar figure that Texas Tech just flat out said, we're not even going to compete with that. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see if that does come true. The fact that Texas, it sounds like they're going to be paying their men's basketball coach more than their football coach, um, which is uh, says quite a lot about the state of Texas athletics. So, uh, But that's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on. And hopefully, guys, here by the time we record the next podcast, uh, we'll be talking about OU's new hire, um, especially on the men's side of things. But um, Adam... Turning this back over to you, going back to the diamond, OU baseball kind of been a tough pass, you know, past week or so. So just kind of give us an update on what's going on with Skip Johnson's crew. Yeah, not a lot of fun things happening for baseball right now. I I don't know the exact stat off the top of my head, but it was something like five of the last uh, fifty runners in scoring position have actually scored, or something like that, uh, over the the course of the uh, the weekend series at Texas and then the midweek game against Oklahoma State. So. Uh, man, some really tight games across the board, uh, some really nail biters heading into the final innings and, you know, so many opportunities left on base uh, throughout the entire game. It's been, it's been tough. Makes you think, yeah, we're that close, but at the same time, you know, you, you have to capitalize on these opportunities if you want to have any type of postseason run. I think I saw a stat on Twitter towards the end of the Texas series where the, the entire, um, combined hits with runners in scoring position for OU in that series. OU was like two for like 19 in that. So um, in the matchup in the series down in Austin, and then obviously in the 5-4 loss to OSU, the pitching has been good enough. And those were all pretty close competitive games. Uh, got some good performances from our starting pitching, but timely hitting just cost OU uh, in, in, all, in every single one of those games. So they'll have a chance to rebound this weekend uh, against TCU coming to Norman. That's going to be a fun series. And much like what it was with Texas and Oklahoma State, it's not going to get any easier with the Horn Frogs being a top twenty team in college baseball. So, Corbin, what's uh, what's it looking like on the uh, uh, across the way over at Marita Hines Field? I mean, same song, different verse, right, guys? Fourteen uh, zero victory tonight against Kansas. I actually thought they were playing tomorrow, so shows you how much I was worried about Kansas heading into the weekend. Um, but, you know, the Jayhawks stole one up in Stillwater last weekend uh, against the Pokes, so uh, they're obviously a team that can come up and bite you. But I'm telling you guys, this uh, this is a different animal in Norman, even compared to what, what we've seen in the past. Um, so if they continue to play the way they're supposed to, uh, you know, we should be looking pretty good here in a couple months uh, heading up to Oklahoma City. But I'll say, guys, I think the Big 12 as a whole is, is probably better um, it continues to get better as a conference on the softball uh, field. So I think, you know, Oklahoma State, Texas, Baylor, I think is last time I checked their rank, they may be on the outside looking in now. But there's at least some opponents in there that, you know, will will test Patty's crew, whether they're going to beat them or not. I don't think that's going to be the case, but but we'll find out. But good team looking strong. Same song, different verse. Is it kind of boring? Like the fact that basically we're just demolishing everybody in our path right now. Maybe maybe it'll get a little tougher. We'll get some closer games. But right now it's almost like check to see if they won by 10 or not. I mean, I hate to say it, but at this point right now, 
get me to Oklahoma City. Get get me to the Women's College World Series. I mean, the, yeah. well, obviously, you know, anything can happen postseason play, but uh, it doesn't seem like as of right now this this team hasn't been tested at all. I mean, they're twenty six and zero for a reason. They're, um, you know, prior to prior to the game, OU had three of the top five. Uh, home run hitters in college softball and every single one of those three girls hit a home run tonight so that train's rolling on and we've gotten so spoiled honestly with OU softball over the last decade some of the you know all-timers in college softball that have come across Marita Hines field and it just like you said Corbin this team's just playing ball on a completely different level and Patty's got him Patty's got this train rolling and I don't see it stopping anytime soon so um anything I, else I'm, for worried, we- I'm worried about pitching I, that is, I think, the the one great area on this team is they haven't necessarily faced a team that um, one has a dominant pitcher on the other on the other end, um, and two, if you get into a pitching duel, if there is a weakness on the on this team, I think that's it. Um, Juarez, I don't think she's she's back to full speed like she was a couple years ago. They've got some young, talented pitchers on the roster, but you got to wonder if it gets into uh, where you know a night where the bats go cold uh, against a team who can put up some runs. You wonder if that could be the way to way to beat this team, and, and they're going to see that at some point, uh, whether it's you know in Norman or eventually up in Oklahoma City, for sure. And that's why I think once you get into the postseason, whether it's a super regional or the Women's College World Series, the fact that it is going to be double elimination, you know, it's going to be hard to, to hard to shut this lineup down, you know, two games in a row or uh, two games in a series. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, but guys, let's uh, let's touch on the the uh, question. Um, that, that I kind of posed to you, poised to you guys earlier this week. I was listening to a podcast that had Danny Cannell on it, and they were talking about they were ranking the jobs in the, in the Big Twelve Conference, and that just kind of kind of brought to light to me the question that I threw out to you guys, which was Spencer Sanders going into twenty twenty one. Is Spencer Sanders a top? Is is he top five in the Big Twelve quarterback power rankings? So. We threw the question out on Twitter, got the poll going, put it out on Sooner Scoop. I'm definitely in the minority on this. Um, doesn't seem like it's very close at all. You guys are both shaking uh, or nodding your head and, and smiling in agreement with uh, with a lot of the other people um, here in Oklahoma and I guess the world of college football. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna die on this hill. Like I said, going into the 2021 season, me personally, I do not believe that he is a top five quarterback. I think that there are five other quarterbacks in this league that are going to perform better than him this year. Guys, do you want to touch on that at all? Do you want me to kind of go explain my reason why, or you just want to let me have it? I would love some facts if you have any um, more than just, you know, your opinion argument that you hit us with all week. I I, I thought I, I brought up some pretty decent facts to like backtrack you, you know, show you some real hard evidence why you can't say that at this point, but you just, you know, okay. Okay. Tyler's opinion trumps all. It's a so, it's a solid mixture of a few facts and Tyler's opinion. So let, I'm gonna I'm just gonna let let you have it. So top five quarterbacks in the Big Twelve Conference. Obviously one and two. We don't even need to talk about that. Spencer Rattler number one. Brock Purdy at Iowa State number two. Then once you get to the three, four, and five, I think there's three guys that depending on who you are. Obviously not you guys. You've got Spencer Sanders ranked ahead of all the three of these. Um, but for me, three, four, and five. Skylar Thompson, Max Duggan. And then whoever's going to be the quarterback at Texas. So for me, the reason why I threw Skylar Thompson out there is the fact that he's already beaten OU. He's been a consistent player at at Kansas State. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in the Big 12, despite the injuries. Prior to that, his performances have been extremely well. I like Chris Kleiman. I like with what with what they've got coming back. The offensive line, Deuce Vaughn, him coming back fully healthy. I think he's poised to have another big year. 
The next guy that I had in this three through five scenario is Max Duggan, a guy that's played the quarterback position for less than four years. He's played it the last two years at the collegiate level. Doesn't necessarily have a ton of experience, still kind of growing into his ability as as a quarterback. Phenomenal athlete, better athlete than Spencer Sanders. Uh, probably about just as equivalent arm talent. But at the end of the day, I like Gary Patterson. I like the weapons that they have on the outside. I think that he's poised to have another good season, maybe hopefully take that next step uh, at the quarterback position for TCU. And then, like I said, rounding out the top five, I've got the quarterback down to Texas, whether it's Hudson Card, whether it's Casey Thompson. We've seen Casey Thompson play a little bit, had a, had a decent Alamo Bowl, played extremely well in the second half. But the reason why I feel so strongly in saying I would rather take – if I basically if I was drafting a fantasy team this year, I'm taking the Texas quarterback over Spencer Sanders simply because of the fact that Steve Sarkeesian is the off, is the is the play caller in the offensive mind down in Austin right now with the with his track record at that position calling plays coaching quarterbacks you have to think and again you guys can disagree with me on this but you have to think that the Texas quarterback position is going to outperform Spencer Sanders this year given the fact with all the skill talent around there Steve Sarkeesian putting his young quarterback I'll admit they are going to be um, not so experienced guys He's going to put them in a position to be successful. Adam, I'll throw it to you. You've been shaking your head the last 60 seconds. Tell me why I'm wrong and uh, have at it, dude. We are all dumber for the answer that you just gave, having heard that. Billy Madison. Um, I mean, just the fact that you started with Skylar Thompson as the number three quarterback in the league. I mean, I'm saying that he could be three, four, or five. I'm just saying that if if I'm picking a team, I would rather have Skylar Thompson as my quarterback going into 2021 than Spencer okay. Sanders. So here's some facts for you. Skylar Thompson has never thrown for more than 12 touchdowns in a year. He, uh, in, as far as where he ranks. He's been hurt the last two years. Chill out here, Tyler. <laughs> here's where he ranks in the Big 12. I'm, I'm taking just 2018 and 2019 seasons when he was actually playing because he was hurt most of last year. Uh, he ranked uh, ninth and seventh in passing yards in those years. Uh, he ranked uh, ninth in passing touchdowns both of those years. He ranks, uh, you know, basically below number seven in uh, passing completion, uh, passing yards per attempt, uh, passing efficiency, total yards. Like he is bottom of the barrel stats wise in every category that you can look at as far as passing in the years that he's he's been playing the majority of the games. And I know he's at Kansas State. They play a little bit different style. Um, they really struggle to score more than 30 points against anybody that wasn't uh, Kansas, Texas Tech, or Mike Stoops' defense uh, when he was in town. So uh, it's the stats don't don't reflect that he's better than Spencer Sanders. He's he's a game manager and he does that really well. And I think your opinion is is clearly jaded on the fact that he's beaten OU twice. And um, I think if you watch more Kansas State games, you wouldn't say that at all. Whereas Spencer Sanders is a guy that's dynamic. He's, you know, he's not uh, crazy passing numbers. He does make some really bad mistakes, but he's also adding 600 yards rushing on the ground. Um, he's, you know, he doesn't have the best offensive line play in front of him, but he is a dynamic playmaker that defenses have to adjust for. No defense is out there having to adjust for, uh, you know, a Skylar Thompson. Yeah. Okay. I mean, well, the, the fact can, that hold on, said, can I can I address that? Uh, okay, just making the pure argument for Skylar Thompson and Spencer Sanders. Which one of those two quarterbacks is, has beaten OU? 
just just Spencer Sanders has been hurt in both cases, but um, I don't I don't rate guys based simply on whether they beat OU or not. I mean, if that was the case, then Jared Zabransky is one of the best quarterbacks of all time from Boise State. Okay, fair enough. I just like, like I said, at the end of the day, if I'm starting a team, I want Skylar Thompson to be my quarterback. I think that he's going to have a better 2021 season than Spencer Sanders is, especially given the fact, and we and I didn't I didn't even bring this up in the opening argument. Look at all the talent that Spencer Sanders is losing around him. Chuba Hubbard's gone. Tylen Wallace is gone. Dylan Stoner's gone. His left tackle is going to be gone going to the NFL draft. He's losing another offensive lineman. So going into next year. While he is going to be an experienced quarterback going into his third season, there's going to be a lot of new talent around him. Yes, I like uh, Oklahoma State's backup running back from last year. I think he's a really good player. But, guys, we talked about this in the group chat. I'm not even sure Spencer Sanders is the best quarterback on his team for this offense. I think he is. And, I mean, you can talk about all the weapons you want around the dude. The dude got sacked 26 times last year. His line was terrible. I that think make, that has to go. I think that has to be a factor when forecasting how this guy is going to perform in twenty twenty one. I mean, I see, I see your point, but I think that line's supposed to be better, and so I don't think he's going to get sacked twenty six, twenty seven times again. And and I will. Anytime you get a mobile quarterback, that's part of the risk. Is like a guy gets out of the pocket, his linemen are able to block, and that opens up for more sacks. There's probably a few of those in there. I'm not blind to that. The fact that you said that Max Duggan was a better athlete than Spencer Sanders is by far the craziest thing you have said on this argument. That is absurd. Spencer Sanders is one of the best mobile quarterbacks, I think, in college football. The issue with Spencer Sanders is his decision-making. His decision-making is bad. Even with that, he had a better passer rating over the past two years than Max Duggan. And so... I don't, I don't see the argument there. And for what it's worth, to pat myself on the back, I have him fourth in the conference on Twitter and in Scoop. That was the most popular choice for Fencer Sanders. So I will, uh, I'm going to take that W and, and hold it for a while. But here's the your, your, your argument is fine. And if you say by midseason or three games in or the end of the year, he's not a top five quarterback, I could get behind that. But you're throwing out too many hypotheticals specifically out of the Texas quarterback situation that we have no proof of, none at all, to to say beyond a shadow of a doubt to start the year, Spencer Sanders is not a better quarterback because you have no clue what's happening down in Austin. Okay, you bring up hypotheticals, but at, at this moment right now, April 1st, are you guys confident in saying that you believe that Spencer Sanders will be a better quarterback than both than who than whoever Steve Sarkeesian throws out there. You think that he will be a better quarterback in 2021 than what the what the quarterback performance is gonna is gonna bring at that position in Austin. That's not the question. That's not what we're arguing. It is to start the year. It is not to be the better quarterback over the season. It is to start the year. And that's where the argument stemmed. So if we want to shift the argument, sure, I would probably say by the end of the year, Sarkeesian's probably got a better okay. quarterback. But to start the year based on proof and what we know, you can't put a, an, an – an, we don't know who's starting down there. La, last question to you on this. If Steve, if Steve Sarkeesian comes out tomorrow and says, Casey Thompson is my quarterback, you still have Spencer Sanders ranked ahead of Casey Thompson in your power rankings? Yes. I think okay. you have to just based on sample size alone. And, I mean, you've seen some really bad stuff from Spencer Sanders, but there's been some really great stuff too. And uh, maybe he'll get his head screwed on right. But um, I, I really wonder, Tyler, if you'd feel the same way if he played for West Virginia instead of Oklahoma State. 
Jared Daigie's not bad. He's not. He's kind. He's of, not bad. He's kind of meh. I mean, I, I watched some film on him in preparation for this, and wasn't really impressed with his arm talent. He has absolutely no running ability. I mean, he's he's fine for West Virginia, but. And I mean, maybe I am a little bit guilty, like looking at this through like crimson colored lenses. You know, maybe I am a little bit biased because I am an OU fan. He's an Oklahoma State quarterback, but I'm just saying, in in my opinion, he would not be a top five quarterback for me going into this year. If if I had to pick, if I was drafting quarterbacks going into this year, he would not be in the top five for me. What what is it about Max Duggan that that confidently puts you ahead? Isn't Max Duggan the same guy who threw a backward pass to an Iowa State defender, ran it in the touchdown last year? Sure is, sure is. <laughs> I th- well, I, I think that That's the reason worse why Spencer Sanders did, I think, well, I, I mean, he, I mean, as as bad as that was, I mean, Spencer Sanders, he did lead the league in uh, in turnovers thrown. Which, again, forgive me if Kansas's quarterback did uh, did outdo him on that. I didn't go back and check Kansas's statistics, but going into this year, I like I like the potential of Max Duggan, how successful he could be. Again, it's a hypothetical, but I'm looking at this. Uh, again, uh, 360 degrees. I'm looking at Max Duggan as a quarterback, the team that's around him, the other 10 guys on the field that are going to be with him. I like Max Duggan's situation going into 2021 better than Spencer Sanders. Now, again, if Spencer Sanders lights everybody up this year, if he you know skyrockets up like in the Heisman rankings or he's a top two, three quarterback in the Big 12, then I'll flat out admit that. But all I'm saying is that going into this year, I don't like Spencer Sanders as much as I like four or five of the other guys in this conference. How many interceptions do you think Spencer Sanders threw last year? Um, if I was, if I'm going to say, there's probably a reason why you're asking this and smiling. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say he threw 14 or 15 picks last year. Eight. Even with a why short it, year, that's I, I thought that was. I thought I thought that was that was way lower than even I thought. Now I know he lost some fumbles, but eight picks, guys. Maybe, maybe I should have again. Maybe I should have clarified and said turnover prone, not necessarily just throwing interceptions. Because I'm trying to find his fumbles. While you're looking that up, I mean, Tyler, I can I can get on board with Max Duggan. Maybe if you like the way he plays a little bit better or, or the potential there. I think there's some factors at TCU that potentially are, are holding him back from reaching full potential and having some team success. But, you know, if, if you're saying Spencer Sanders is below – a guy like Jarrett Dagey and a guy like Skylar Thompson, or maybe even a guy from Texas. And that's who you're going to start your team with. I guess have fun at the Liberty bowl. Cause that's your ceiling with a guy like that with a Spencer Sanders. You know, we have to remember he'll be a junior uh, this upcoming season and he's coming up with a ton of experience. He won't have uh, nearly as much uh, help did around he, him did in he... star guys, but I think the ceiling still is pretty high for him. Maybe he doesn't, get better at all, but at least he's done something uh, dynamic with his time on the field as of right now. I want to go back and look at the statistics, but I think it's probably safe to say there was not much, if hardly any improvement from year one to year two with Spencer Sanders quarterback. Now, again, I think that that could be misconstrued because the fact that we were in a COVID season, you didn't have spring ball, you didn't have summer camp. We've talked about that a lot, but the guys, honestly, the thing that I think is most surprising to me why you guys are kind of you know disagreeing with me on this going into this year just asking both you and you answer yes no however you want to do it you would rather have spencer sanders as your quarterback than the guy that steve sarkeesian is going to trot out there i have no idea who sarkeesian is going to trot out there 
it, it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, that's, that's what I'm just. That, that's true, but like I said, both are you know highly skilled guys. We've seen more Casey Thompson than we have of Hudson Card. Obviously, a lot of people down in Austin think that Hudson Card's going to win that job. But again, I know it's hypothetical, but just going off of track records, or let, let me even let me even pose this question to you. We haven't seen Casey Thompson play much at all. We haven't seen Hudson Carr play. We've seen him play even less. We all know that Lincoln's the number one offensive mind of football. You could probably make an argument that Sarkeesian, even though he's probably stolen half of Lincoln's playbook, Sarkeesian's probably a number two or number three. If you put either one of those Texas quarterbacks in with Lincoln Riley right now, with hardly any experience in college football whatsoever, would you take both of those quarterbacks over Spencer Sanders? Uh, sure, because I think there's a, a longer track record there. People forget how bad Sark was as a head coach. He had one of the most talented offenses year in, year out at Alabama. He fed off of Nick Saban. Like, so we've gone, we've talked about this many times in the pod. True, true. And so, I, yeah, you're talking about two fronts now that are complete unknowns. Sark's been out of the head coaching job for a long time, and they've got two quarterbacks. While I will give Casey Thompson credit, he lit up Colorado. Bravo, you know, like way to go Alamo Bowl winner. But like, besides that, there's just nothing to go off of. At least with Coach Riley, you're on four quarterbacks now that have three have been drafted, three have been in the Heisman race or have won one. And now Spencer's got the same opportunity here. Let me pause because I I found the stats on fumbles. Um, Spencer Sanders, uh, 2020 fumbles. He fumbled five times and he lost three. He had 11 turnovers on the year. Spencer Rattler had seven picks, six fumbles, and lost two of them, and he had nine turnovers on the year. So for as great as we think Spencer Rattler is, and now his overall numbers are much better, when we talk about turnovers, he had two less than Spencer Sanders. Sanders missed missed a few games at the beginning of the year, and I think that is something that is not taken into account, is he was injured basically on the first series of the first game. And so that'll slow you down as the year goes on. And I, I think, Tyler, maybe a better way to look at it is, like, if you're saying by game six of this year, do I want the Texas quarterback or do I want Spencer Sanders? At that point, maybe I'll, I'll probably want the Texas guy if you were asking me today. But let's say, you know, you're going up against LSU like Texas is in game two of this year. Um, I think they're – I don't know if that – or I guess uh, they're not playing uh, – they're playing Arkansas as the second game. I mean, mm-hmm. would you rather want Casey Thompson or Hudson Card game two against Arkansas, or would you rather have Spencer Sanders in game two? For me, that's that's a pretty easy, you know, way to go. I'll I'll lean experience on that. I I, I get the experience argument, but I also look at the talent that's going to be around him. That's going to put him in a better position to succeed. Like whereas I know that. Uh, and again, forgive me for not knowing his name, but I know that the backup running back from last year at OSU is, is really good. LD Browns, fantastic. But at the end of the day, I like the guys that Texas has on offense. I like the fact that they, they have B. John Robinson. I like the fact that they do have a couple really good receivers out on the uh, out on the outside. I like the fact that they have Steve Sarkeesian, who's been in those situations. He's played against Arkansas, or he's coached against Arkansas. So I guess at the end of the day, Whereas I think that the ceiling is much higher that those Texas quarterbacks could reach than what Spencer Sanders could do. That's that's why I like them earlier in the year as opposed to Spencer Sanders. Because I, I feel like I know what I'm getting with Spencer Sanders. I, I, I don't know how much more of a jump he's going to take. I think that the potential 
and the opportunity that the Texas quarterbacks are going to have are going to put them in a much better situation from a performance standpoint than what we're going to get out of Spencer Sanders. And again, it's it's all a hypothetical. It's an all, you know, I'm sure we'll revisit this, especially if it goes in your guys' favor, you'll never let me live it down. I'll flat out come out and say that I that I screwed it up. But like I said, it's it, it's the off season. It's something fun to talk about. And uh, again, I did not think I was going to be in such a, a huge minority um, on this poll as, as it turned out to be. But by the same argument that you make there, Tyler, uh, Spencer Rattler had Austin Stogner and Theo Weiss and Seth McGowan and a whole sure. host of very talented guys, and he lost two of his first, what, three games or four games? So, uh, But I guess my, my counter-argument to that would be that was Spencer's those were two of his first three games he's ever played in college. Spencer's been in college for two years. Like Hudson Carter Rattlers. and Casey Thompson, Will? We're talking about Texas. Yeah, we're talking about Texas. <laughs> oh, here. you're talking – okay, yeah. you're talking about – you're not, you're not just, comparing Rattler and Sanders. You just made okay. my point of why yeah. uh, you should go with Spencer Sanders over the Texas guys. But, but, <laughs> this is not going to be a COVID year, whereas OU didn't really have the ability to have Lincoln be able to um, – be able to set Spencer up for success, allow him to have a spring ball, fall camp. Texas is going to have all that extra practice time to be able to get those guys up to speed a little bit more. So Texas I, I already know, we, practices. Huh? It, it, this is still COVID. Texas already paused spring practices. They've they they picked it, they picked it back up yesterday. I know, but they've already done it once. So like this isn't like it's going to go back to a normal year just because we've got a vaccine out. So uh, yeah, I mean, you've eaten your words. The world has, has told you, Tyler Burton, you're wrong on this one. And uh, regardless of what happens in the season, that's irrelevant to this conversation. But um, I do think you're right in the sense that as the season goes along, I, I'm not I'm not opposed to what you're saying, that, that Spencer Sanders has probably hit a ceiling. Um, but to start the year, I can't put him any lower than probably fourth. Yeah. Well, once we, uh, once we do our college football fantasy draft, I fully expect you two to stand behind this and draft Spencer Sanders with uh, one of your quarterback positions. So... We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see. So, uh, but yeah, anything, anything else, any more piling on you guys want to do? Yeah. Uh, when are you going to tra- become trans- a politician there with all these excuses? You're, you're ready for it. Dude, the, uh, the, the money is appealing. Um, don't really, don't really care about being right too often, but, uh, but, but yeah, that there is appealing to that a lot of back and forth. So Corbin, you came up with a really good idea for a new topic that, that, uh, we're going to kind of transition into. So what'd you, what'd you come up with? This, this is going to be good. Yeah, so definitely want to credit Adam as well. You know, he had the original idea. I just brought the title to it. Um, so it's called Bitchin'. It's a new segment where we're complaining about the things we love most. We call it Bitchin', no G at the end, because really we we aren't that upset about any of this. We're just bitching to bitch. So uh, that's why we're going for it. So tonight's topic, and Tyler, we're going to start out with you. We're just talking <laughs> OU in general. Uh, it's going to be about sports, the classrooms, the students, whatever you want to talk about, things that, that we just – like to hate about uh, about OU and and I'll I'll turn it to you first. Here at the University of Oklahoma on the women's side of this athletic department, we have without a doubt the most successful softball program in the country when it comes to college softball. We have we have I think it's safe to say you've got the best coach in college softball in Patty Gasso. This has been the most consistent and winningest program over the last decade. And my bitchin when it comes to this topic is the fact that despite all the success, all the accolades, all the championships, OU softball 
compared to all of the other blue blood blue bloods and probably 20 other programs in college softball OU has the worst softball facilities out of all of them now it, it, I know that they there are plans right now they're trying to raise money I know that covid's been happening but my god patty's been here for 25 years the success has been about as consistent as you could ask for especially the last six seven eight years the conference championships the women's college world series titles honestly I'm shocked that Patty Gasso is still here just because there has not been as much support from a financial standpoint into upgrading the facilities over at Marita Hines Field. I think that that is something that uh, I don't know if underachieving is the right word, but again, if I'm just bitching about a topic, then I think that it is an absolute joke that the best college football or college softball program in America um, is not in the top 10 or 15 as far as facilities go. So that's all. that's all I have to say on that. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I will say I was back when I was a marketing GA, uh, we were doing something for softball. I think it was, it was senior night or something. And they had, uh, they had the, the, it wasn't blueprints, but it was a, a booklet of what was coming for the new softball stadium. Identical to everything that we, we are just now seeing as far as what they're promoting. And it was dated, I think, in the, the late 2000s. I think it was like 2008, 2009. So if you want to get some perspective on how long this softball facility's actually been up and running, we're, we're, we're coming up on 15 years. I think those, I think those blueprints were put together right around the same time that the football upgrade blueprint yep. was because in the ticket office, in the back room, we kind of had hanging up what the, uh, the ideal, you know, eventual football stadium was going to look like once the West side was being renovated. But uh, again, I just think that it goes to show it's obviously not impacting Patty's recruiting or her ability to coach her teams. Like I said, they're kicking ass. They're 26 and 0 this season. You know, they're well on their way. But again, I know that money talks and it's, you know, it's got to be hard to fundraise, especially for a program like that that doesn't bring in as much money like an OU football. But I mean, give these girls what they deserve. Give Patty what she deserves. I mean, that there should be a new stadium being built. And there should be a Patty Gasso statue out front right by the entrance. So that's, that's, all, that's as much bitching as I want to do on that. It's an yeah. it's an unfair situation. I mean, softball I don't think has ever finished a season in the black. I mean, every year they're losing money. There's only really two programs that are are making money at OU. That's football and men's basketball. And look at men's basketball. They have basically nothing if it weren't for what Blake Griffin had had given for uh, their practice and training facilities. And so I think they would be Sorry, go ahead. I mean, that's tough. That's a tough, you know, judgment to to say, "Hey, let's give all this money to these sports that aren't bringing in any type of revenue. And I, I think that's just kind of the way that the model Joe Castiglione and the university and as a whole is, you know, how they've done their funding and um, they're, they're not interested in really, um, you know, pushing the needle with whatever other types of ways that we can raise money for that, whether it be taxes or bonds or, or other solutions, it's really just, Hey, we got to raise all this money for a sport that isn't followed nearly as much as football or basketball. And and we we talk about the fact that you know softball you know they're they're in the red they're not they're not a money making sport but you know Corbin in your time over in the Sooner Club handling the donations the you know the gift you know the gift giving and all that stuff and Adam you and I both know it as well as anybody being in the ticket office and actually selling those games out every single year we how many you know hundreds you know maybe even thousands of, of tickets could we have potentially sold if we would have had space or an upgrade in a facility where people. You know, it didn't matter if if they were playing, you know, Texas or if they were playing Tulsa, you could you could fill twenty five hundred, three thousand 
uh, seats in the, in, in that stadium for, for those girls. So again, I, I know that, you know, that's probably not going to be something that's going to realistically happen over the next four to five years. I think COVID set that back tremendously. Um, but again, this, this, this program, they're, they're number one in America have been for the last, you know, decade and, Patty and those girls deserve it, and I, I definitely hope that that happens. So I definitely at least hope that it happens before they touch baseball. Yeah, I will say, guys, from from and I think they're closer on baseball. Yeah, I would agree. From people who I have learned to, to trust and have good relationships with with NOU, I don't think softball is as deep in the red as people would realize. It's very close. Um, yeah, it is very it's very close. It well, may give any of the sports that are in the red that may be the one that is closest to being in the black or even the green. And here's where I think it, it actually could help. And, and I know we're you know on this topic for a bit now, but additional big 12 teams and postseason play matter. And you have to credit Patty when you have a program like Oklahoma, other people in this area and across the country are going to want to play against Oklahoma. And you're seeing that with Texas, with Oklahoma State, with Baylor. As the conference continues to grow, as they keep getting deeper and deeper into the postseason, just like basketball, you start making these postseason runs. It helps the conference out as a whole. More money starts coming to each program. It's it's a, it, it, This is coming. The softball facility will come. I just don't know when. I think it might be a while, which is really unfortunate. you got to remember, back in those, you know, when we started getting the blueprints and stuff for all these stadiums, was was back when oil money was good. And it's not anymore. Uh, at least not what it was. So, you know, until that gets back, we're not going to we're not going to see much uh, on that front. And I think when it comes to the bonds that has to go to the football stadium has to because you're not fundraising enough offhand uh, to do the West Side renovation just from donor support in Oklahoma. Well, and not for this to be a slide at anything, but it helps, you know, it helps when you, you can move further and further away from being in the red when you're not selling softball tickets for five dollars a piece. So um, that's that's definitely helped over the last year or two. But uh uh, again, Adam, anything, anything else on that one, or let's let's move to your opening bitching topic. <laughs> yeah, first one for me is uh, just uh, the fractured family of OU fans, and this is kind of frustrating for me, um, and I think for for each of us because we've worked in the athletic department, uh, we've been you know very involved with sports besides just football, and. And OU being a bigger, you know, national rec- nationally recognized university, we draw a lot of students from the Dallas area. Uh, we draw a lot of students from other states uh, around the country. And so, you know, those students come here, they graduate, they go back home. Uh, and then I feel like in a lot of ways, they become football only fans. Or we have a lot of people that um, have no connection, really. They just kind of grew up, you know, liking OU and it's just football. And so I, I see this, you know, you get even even in the Oklahoma City area where people up in the city don't want to come down for basketball games. They don't want to come down for baseball games. I, I feel like a lot of OU fans probably don't even know whether OU baseball is good or not because it's not, you know, on their radar at all. Um, and, and credit, there are some people, you know, down at baseball or, um, you know, gymnastics, volleyball, uh, gymnastics, especially over the last couple of years has grown a little bit, but there are people that are trying really hard to create a, a fun environment. And I look around at other places, you know, Arkansas, smaller fan base, but they, they draw really well for pretty much all their sports. Same things with you know, your Mississippi state and your Ole Miss and, and, and around the SEC there, including gymnastics too. And so I, I don't know how to better describe it, but I just wish OU fans would come together and be more supportive of, 
of all the programs besides just football uh, and, you know, get off the message boards and stop taking dumps on women's basketball because it's bad, like, <laughs> or, or men's basketball, just saying, oh, it's yeah, I'm, bad. I'm waiting for football season. I know it's bad, but like, it's bad. <laughs> but like, what good does it do to just be like, I don't care because it's women's basketball, like at least, you know, cheer them on, even if they're bad, like, it, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can say it much better than that, I guess. No, yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I agree with you on that. And, you know, we, we have, outside of football, we have a fan base that is very reactionary. The, the support, it seems like, in a lot of these minor sports, outside of softball, the support's always, the same support's always going to be there for men's and women's gymnastics. I mean, I, I, just because that's such a unique sport, I don't know if that's, if there's a huge percentage of the population that, you know, truly likes and understands and, and, you know, you know, wants to come out to a gymnastics meet. But when you look at sports like men's and women's basketball, when you look at OU baseball, really the only time that you're going to see support is when the team's good and they decide to come out and support these teams and spend money and, you know, be in attendance when the t- it's all reactionary, it's all based off performance on the field. So that is one thing where I'm in complete agreement with you, Adam, like there needs to be a more united front when it comes to supporting all these different programs across OU athletics. Um, but again, you know, football's ki- football's king, and when you're a blue blood football program like that, one of the best in America, I mean, you're you're not going to get the same same you know consistent support across the entire athletic department, no matter how much we we might want it. Yep, I, I'm with you 100. <laughs> uh, I got nothing to add to that. That was well said, Adam. So I'm I'm with you there. Corbin, what you got for your first one? Yeah, my, I don't, mine's pretty short and sweet, guys. Uh, Back in the day, in the GA days, and uh, maybe even a little bit when I was with Legends, uh, you know, Headington Hall is the quote-unquote non-official student-athlete dorm for people who don't know campus very well. Uh, 49% student-athletes. You know, Jason Leonard, if you're listening, I'm saying that correctly. Um, So, uh, (laughs) I used to have $5 Headington Hall lunches, and it was buffet-style, come and eat as much as you want. And I don't remember exactly when it happened, uh, and and most people are going to say, Corbin, get off your high horse. But as a poor, uh, you know, GA in the athletic department, those $5 lunches were clutch. Clutch. I don't care how much money I was making or not making, they were awesome. (laughs) And, And they took them away. And, and I have no, I have nothing else to say about that besides I just wanted to bitch about that for a little bit. They took away my $5 lunches at Headington Hall and I was just annoyed. Yeah. And not only was it the athletes, or sorry, the quote unquote <laughs> athletes dorm, uh, you know, the food was, was really solid in there for, for a college cafeteria buffet type setting. You could get some great food, some grilled salmon fresh off the grill. Um, and there was the color coding on everything too for the athletes. So they know, Hey, a green light means you can eat as much as you want a yellow light, a red light, so forth. Um, I would go the reverse athlete diet <laughs> in most cases, you know, some, uh, granola, chocolate milk, uh, would be around one, a grilled salmon just to balance it out. The Hegeman special. I- I'd go for, I'd go for so much food and then I'd get my ice cream cone walking back to the office after lunch. So um, I, I took one for the team. I, I ate all the unhealthy food so that the athletes didn't have to. Props to you for eating the fish, though. I, I didn't go down that route. Uh, I, Five dollars—it's—it's it's too low for <laughs> of any kind. Uh, you just—you just, just got to know better. So, props to you. Thanks for keeping that that menu option alive. I, I was pretty consistent with the salad bar, the oh. burgers, and then whatever was over on the pizza, the pizza stuff. So the that was that was great. 
Yes, fan, fantastic. So, but uh, yeah, the the Headington the price increase was pretty detrimental, especially to the IMG crowd. I mean that that five dollar that five dollar price point was so appealing that honestly it was not just one of the best parts of our day, but it was a much needed vent session walking from the ticket office to Headington and back, getting some stuff off our chest, blowing some steam off. Um, there's some few people out there listening right now that are probably laughing and nodding their heads. But yeah, go, going all the way up to $15, not increasing really the the quality of the food. You know, me not necessarily me not being able to get the the all you can eat stuff, not being able to get my daily dose of Doc B in Headington Hall, mixing it up with everybody. I mean, it was it, it was just a downer, and uh, um, I, I don't know, I, I I miss it. It was definitely not the same after that for sure. Yeah, Tyler, what's your what's your number two? My last last topic on this bitching subject, with I think this has been fantastic. I I've got a bone to pick with the OU football student section. Amen. I'm I'm probably one of the more diehard fans. You guys are the same. You know, we whether you're a student there, um, Adam. You know, we we like getting there early. We like taking in all the pageantry, all the pregame stuff. You know, I'm people kind of laugh at me, and I've had some family members. You know, kind of you know stick their nose up you know why do you like getting in the stadium an hour and a half beforehand why do you like getting in there an hour i like watching warm-ups i like watching the band play you know i like you know building it up building the excitement up the ou student section the days of showing up five minutes before kickoff leaving at halftime leaving maybe at the end of the third quarter looking over there in a one two possession game and only seeing that student section maybe 15 to 20 percent full I think it's an embarrassment. I think it's laughable. I think it's a joke that we have we're spoiled with riches with how good our football program is and the fact that our student body again, we all know it because we sold the tickets to it. We dealt with the parents and the students whenever it comes time for student ticket sales. The fact that they don't support the football team from start to finish and they don't stick around. We only get 60 of these games a year. Stick around, get there early. Be proud of your school. Be proud of your team. Scream like crazy. You're only going to get four seasons as a student. Enjoy it. Soak it up. Stay the entire time. Yeah. I mean, they set the tone for the entire stadium. Uh, Frankly, I don't care if they show up five minutes before the game all at once. Just stay the entire game and, you know, be loud and and help the rest of the the stadium get loud, too, because we got uh, got quite a few olds that want to sit on their their hands the entire game with their mouth closed. There's quite there's quite a few olds in the north end zone, and that's a more ruckus section than the students than the students are. So, yeah, yep. I don't know. That's that's definitely one of the things that I wish OU was a little bit better at when. You know, you watch all these different games on TV. You know, we've we've been to A&M, Corbin, you can speak on at the 12th man. That student section, whether it's basketball or football, I mean, that's a huge advantage. That's worth at least, you know, three, four, five points. So uh, especially with the team that we're, you know, projected to have this year, students come out, stay for the entire game, cheer loud, make a difference. And that's that's all I have to say about that. If not, cut the student section down by, you know, one or two thousand seats and uh, let's make some more money. Uh, selling them to season tickets, and maybe that can fund the softball program. So, um, don't yeah. want to ruin the don't want to ruin the sellout, guys. "Quote unquote" the the sellout streak. The, sell, so, the yeah. sellout streak. Don't don't ruin the sellout streak now. Well, I'll I'll move of move us <laughs> off of that one uh, with my second, uh, which is uh, this never happened. Future episode. <laughs> this never occurred uh, when I was at OU. I don't know if it was still in place when you guys were students or not, but. Uh, I was told uh, by someone who has been at OU for a really long time that traditionally, after the OU-Texas game, 
we would get the Monday off. And I know I'm not working at OU anymore. Uh, I'm not a student there or anything, but uh, I honestly think this should this could even be an Oklahoma holiday. Like after the OU Texas game, give us that Monday off. I I know it used to line up with Columbus Day, so maybe there's we don't celebrate that anymore. So that had to be taken away or, or whatever it is. But uh, at least give us a day <laughs> off. You know, we've we've had a fun weekend in Dallas. Give us some more recovery. It's pot, pot about went political there for a second. Uh, I've never had the Monday off uh, after OU Texas, uh, whether that's work or school related. Obviously, we always had the Friday off. And if you could get out, you know, you're leaving Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening. Uh, yeah. Why would you not? Get, I mean, everybody's still on a high, you know, coming on, on on Monday. So, yeah, that makes sense to me. I'm with you. It's definitely not the same since I've sent in my post graduation life but i mean corbin you can speak on this as well as anybody and adam you've been around it too i mean you you look forward to that weekend all year i mean once football season comes out you know it's gonna be the second weekend in october you've got that thing circled on your calendar once that last class is over on thursday afternoon you've got your bags packed you're heading down to dallas with your friends and i mean guys you know as well as anybody i mean you it's a pretty good time on friday and saturday night especially after no you win you've got two pretty heavy days um partying, drinking, having a good time. That 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 wake up call on Sunday morning, that ride back up north to, to Norman has uh is brutal. So give me another recovery day. Let me get back in the classroom on Tuesday. I think we can all agree. Um let's let's make that a holiday. So what that's that that could be a good a uh something something good to propose to the new president. I think he'd gain a lot of brownie points uh to implement something like that. Yep. All right, guys. My last one, uh, honestly, you know, really similar. I think how, how Tyler feels about the softball stadium is, is the location of the Lloyd Noble Center. Um, not necessarily in just the sense that it is so far away from the heart of campus. So it really, I think, deters a lot of the students from just naturally attending games by walking across the street or walking a couple blocks of the game. But the fact that there is nothing around the LNC to either keep people there, to pregame there, to do anything there whatsoever. I know, you know, when we had the year, the buddies team went to the final four, there was a couple of groups that were doing some tailgating, but like that's, that's it. And that was on. one of the biggest proponents of me wanting the university North park district to come alive and have that arena up there. It's, it would have made no difference as far as like, I think people, on campus attending the game or not, because you're going to drive to either of those locations either way, but it's going to make the Oklahoma City crowd a whole lot easier of a drive to get to that arena. It's not going to deter any of the Norman people from going up there because it's still close enough. And you don't have to deal with Highway 9, you know, coming and leaving from, you know, the Lloyd Noble Center currently. And let's throw on one more. There's actually things and restaurants and bars to do up in University North Park man, that would have been such a cool spot. Um, and it's the most Norman thing ever that that didn't get approved. So I can't say I'm surprised. I know Norman had the first rights to uh, the Warren, if you guys didn't know that, yep. and yep. said no. And now look at what all has boomed around that and more. The exact uh, same thing so, with the the exact same thing with the Costco that they're building in more right now. Yep. They, they wanted it to be in Norman. Norman said no. So, yep. uh, so I, I, wish, I wish they'd do something with it. Uh, they kind of the OU side of things has kind of pinholed themselves as far as building both practice facilities there, building the Blake Griffin Performance Center there. That's going to make it hard. But they were never going to build a brand new practice facility or a weight room at the new arena anyway. So I don't think that's detrimental. Um, and it's not. it wouldn't be the first college campus and athletic department to have a practice facility in one place and an arena in the other. Uh, so I don't think that's that big of a deal. But 
guys, the LNC is bad. Um, and I didn't listen to the interview, but I heard on another pod that Lon kind of went off Sh- on it a little shit bit. Shit on it, yeah. Yeah. I, did you hear it? I didn't hear what he said. Um, he pretty much said without saying that the uh, it, it's it's out of date. It's not fan friendly, and he was really really disappointed as the men's as the head coach that uh, that new that new arena uh, over by University of North Park was not was not approved by the city. So uh, that that's going to be OU fighting an uphill battle, not just with fan attendance, but with recruiting. Especially we see we see with all the facilities that are going on in college basketball, what Texas is building right now, investing in that city of Austin being behind it. I mean. Corbin, I'm I'm almost in complete agreement with you on this. I think that from a student perspective, the the excuse that they make about it being too far away for them to travel down there, I think that's kind of lazy. I mean, we, I, I was spoiled during my time at OU when I was a student. I was there during the the heart of the buddy area. I mean, that student section was packed, you know, both in the lower bowl and in the upper bowl. We were spoiled by it. But at the end of the day, back to what I was saying about us having a reactionary fan base, if the team is good, it's going to be full. If it's not, then you're going to have you know four or five thousand fans there every single night. And you're going to have coaches complaining about it. But uh, no, I'm, it, it needs to happen. The LNC it is not fan friendly whatsoever. There's really nothing about it. Like you like you said prior to us recording, Corbin Rudy's is the only thing right around there that's you know any type of entertainment. Go in there, grab a sandwich. I know that OU tries to do some things. You know, putting the food truck out there, the clown blowing up balloons, the cornhole, like that's that's all well and good. The attempt is being made, but at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do. So it I think that it again, everything costs money. It's time to start thinking about building a new arena closer to North Norman, closer to Oklahoma City, get that crowd, make it appealing for them to just hop on thirty five and come down there. Um, but no, I think that the LNC it's it's served its purpose. It's time for something new. Yep. You got to think on a, on a, a bigger scale, right? Concerts, events, things outside of OU athletics that that type of arena could bring in. I mean, it would be a huge game changer to, to, to the city of Norman. I think, um, I mean, guys, it's only a few miles difference as far as exiting the highway, but exiting up on Tecumseh or something like that versus exiting off of, or excuse me, I got those exiting up closer to, uh, what is that? Indian Hills? What's that exit they would probably take for that? Rock Creek. Rock Creek, Rock Creek. Robinson probably. Yeah, versus uh, Highway You, you can get off on Tecumseh coming the back way, but Highway 9 is brutal. That adds, what, 15 minutes from those folks coming up north? Yeah. And so There's here's pr- the deal. You already know what the Norman crowd is going to bring night in and night out to the LNC. So you might as well make it easier for everybody north to have to cut that drive in half. Because I hear time and time again, whether it was marketing or whether it was being in the, the donor section, you know, with, um, uh, with the Sooner Club, like, that's a huge complaint. If we've got a 6.30 p.m. tip and people are trying to make it down to Norman coming off work on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, guys, as much as I'm a fan, there's some of those games I wouldn't make. I'm just like, I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna go watch, you know, us play Texas Tech at seven o'clock, eight o'clock. You know, it's just it's hard. So you gotta you gotta find a way to make it easier on folks. And unfortunately, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Well, I mean, just thinking about how much of a positive impact it would have, you know, not just on OU, on OU, you know, men's and women's basketball, I think that it would help increase attendance, but just thinking about what it would do in a positive way for the city of Norman. I mean, we see, you know, we see sports teams that are building these new facilities. I mean, the Atlanta Braves have it, you know, um, the the Cubs have it with Wrigleyville going on uh, right now. Texas is doing the same thing. The, The Texas Rangers is probably the best example where the fact that you've got all these entertainment options outside of it you can go you could go just imagine how enticing it would be the fact that if it is an eight o'clock game you get off work at five o'clock you can go 
down and there's a there's bars, there's restaurants. Grab a bite to eat, grab a beer, meet your friends, then go over there and go to go take in a basketball game. And then, oh, by the way, you're only 10, 15 minutes away from your home open Oklahoma City. So I know that it does cost a lot of money, but to me, the pros far outweigh the cons in, in this argument. So it's it, it needs to happen. It's long overdue. Yep. Unfortunately, I think it's out of OU's hands, which is really, uh, really which sad. Just, yep. The uh, city of Norman leadership. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's, that's correct. So, <laughs> Adam. <laughs> yeah. I was Adam. a part of, uh, you know, some different groups in the city of Norman that were really behind that uh, at the time it was happening and, and up for vote. And it was really frustrating to see that happen. So, uh, I don't have a whole lot of I, nice things to say beyond what's already I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to get into like the the politics behind it, and like I'll just flat out say I'm not well educated enough to talk about like the the effects that it would have on taxpayers and things like that. To me, I I don't really know if it is the taxpayers that would be paying a huge portion of it. But honestly, at the end of the day, guys, if my taxes are going to go a little bit up and I'm going to have to pay more to the city of Norman, but there's also those that option is going to be available that I can go spend money at a restaurant. I can spend money driving over there, parking, taking in a game. I'm okay with doing that. If that's going to create a better experience for me as a fan, when it comes to cheering on OU basketball. So, um, we'll ho- hopefully that happens, but, uh, shout out long Kruger for, uh, kind of stepping out a little bit and, uh, tell, tell us how you really feel. That was, that was good to see. It only took 10 years. Uh, but, uh, Cor- Corbin, the, uh, Mount Rushmore, you came up with the topic for, for this one. So what, uh, what, what's on the agenda uh, for tonight? Yeah. So Mount Mush, uh, Mount Rushmore's give a, a quick, uh, you know, we haven't done it in a few weeks. So quick refresher, uh, we're picking our far, far, excuse me, can't even talk now top four things in any topic, uh, that we decide to choose. So tonight we are going with our favorite episodes of the office. I know it's one of our favorite shows ever, all three of us. And uh, so I'm excited to get into this. I wrote down probably like, I'm with you, Tyler, like 15 to 17 episodes, kind of on a tiered basis, but was going through them last night and just like literally laughing. I was, I was reading the titles of some of these episodes and even watching the show. So I'm excited to, to dive into this and hear what you guys have, have put on your list. Adam, pick one, round one uh, goes to you, my friend. I, I did not expect the first pick. I'm going to go with uh, stress relief. The, uh, the classic episode that broke, uh, I mean, I, I think it's the most watched uh, episode live and probably uh, on Netflix and other streaming services. Uh, that's the episode where Dwight creates the fire in the office, uh, which, which causes the somewhat realistic fire drill. Uh, and then Stanley uh, has, uh, has the, you know, the stress going on and there's just so much wild <laughs> stuff happening from the, uh, the dummy and the CPR and Angela throwing bandit in the roof and, um, First, I was and, afraid. Was yeah, afraid. and Kevin, you're just grabbing everything in the vending machines because <laughs> that's what you need to do when there's a fire. So there's just so much going on. It's 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 the classic. It to me, it seems like the no brainer as the first pick. Although there's some very solid options right behind it. So I'm curious to see where you guys go with this. That show has a ton of fantastic cold openings, but that far and away takes the cake. And then, like you said, all the different things going around at the scene with the with the uh, CPR dummy. I mean, that's 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 gold when it comes to comedy. So uh, that's that was one of the uh, that was actually number one for me also. So let me go and scratch that off. Uh, my first pick in this. God, what could I do? Um on this one, I, I think that the other one will be will circle back to me. I'm going to go on this one with the injury. The injury, uh, going all the way back here, I had some had some notes on it. I watched it last night. Yeah, season two, episode twelve, the famous Michael Scott Foreman Grill tragedy. 
um, th- that was that was absolutely fantastic. That phone call into Pam Dwight, you know, trying to save the day, crashing his car into the pole. He's concussed, gets out, throws all throws up all over the hood. That was fantastic. And then just to, the the comedy in it, the jokes, Ryan and the yams, Michael sticking his foot into the cat scan at the very end of the episode while he's holding Dwight's hand. I mean, it's all around. It's a solid episode, much like most of the episodes of this. Uh, of the office. If this one's on, I'm watching it. I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, give me the injury pick number one. Uh, guys, my, my one and two are intact. So we're, we're hitting them both. I'm so happy. So for me, my number one is, is Scott's tots. Um, <laughs> that is by far of any of the episodes, the most cringeworthy episode of the entire show. Like it's so funny. But it just like, it just tears at you with how like awkward and just, depressing it is where michael promises a group of elementary school students that if if they graduate he's going to pay for their college tuition instead he sends them with uh, uh laptop batteries true. so that that is my uh, that's my my number one pick uh in the second one uh which is up there like if this is ever on uh i will will watch 100 percent uh, this song is actually one of my ringtones. Uh, it is season four, episode 18, uh, Goodbye Toby. Um, I love that episode because, like, Michael is so overjoyed with, like, Toby <laughs> leaving. Uh, it's amazing. And uh, one thing that about that episode that I always wonder is he mentions another song. Is it called, like, Beers in Heaven or something like that? Yep. I just, I just, I gotta know. At some point, like, they have to come out with that song. Uh, they have to. Uh, they already came out with a full movie of Threat Level Midnight, so I need beers in heaven in some way, shape, or form just to like fill that need in my life of of wondering what that is. Well, that was just such a huge episode. I mean, that was whenever Michael was introduced to Holly. I mean, meeting his yep. future wife and Andy proposing to to Angela was good. And Jim didn't um, propose to Pam. Yeah, yeah didn't, <laughs> didn't propose to Pam. And I think one of the uh, most. Um, underappreciated characters in that show was Hank, the security guard. He's got a couple really good kind of awkward moments in that show that provide some pretty good laughter. So I, uh, goodbye, Toby. That was one of the, one of the other ones that I had too. So my second pick, Abraham Lincoln once said that if you're a racist, I will attack you with the North. I'm going to season one, episode two, diversity day. It's fantastic. Mr. Brown from corporate, comes in to do some diversity training there's been some complaints about michael michael's chris rock routine is it's just absolutely fantastic and the the name cards on the scene towards the end on the forehead michael is mlk jr just some of the jokes it it it, i kind of whenever you go back and watch that episode now you know that there's no way in hell they could make that episode in today's time it's just a it's it's just not going to happen so diversity day it's it's fantastic. That's number two for me for sure. Love it. And it's interesting. I didn't have the injury Scott's Tots or Goodbye Toby on my list at all. Although I I love all those episodes. There's some people out there that are real haters of Scott's Tots. I don't hate it. I I think it's just fine. So, um, but that's interesting. That leaves some really good ones on the table for me. I'm gonna have to go with Dinner Party, which is where I thought you were going, Corbin. I, a lot so of people good. put this one at the top of the list, and I mean, it's it's hard to beat. You've got the uh, the plasma TV that goes boom, boom into the wall when you watch some space. Uh, <laughs> you've got just the whole awkwardness of Jan and Michael back and forth, the snip, snap, snip, snap, uh, vasectomies going on. 
Uh, you've got Dwight showing up with his former babysitter. Uh, just so much awkwardness and just the whole breakup. Um, you know, the the song, I, this is where I thought you were going, Corbin, was the song, uh, you know, You Took Me By The Hand by her old assistant, Hunter. Uh, oh. So I'm going with Dinner Party for, for my, uh, my second pick. And then for... You know... You know, Adam, in Spain, they often don't start eating until midnight. That's true. Um, I would like to... Have you, guys, have you all ever dipped your steak in wine? I haven't, but I'm curious if it actually tastes good or not. Have you got Have you got sensitive teeth? <laughs> I, I might. And someday I may have to resort to that. Oh, man. Um, Which, for my third pick, I'm going to go with Casino Night. Well, I think nice. it's a little bit underrated, but I think it is... It's not my favorite episode, but I think it is the best episode if that makes sense and the reason being is you've you've got jim for the first time telling pam how he feels and so you have such a key pivotal moment in that entire story arc there um you have them kissing that's the end of the uh the season two so you have a little bit of a cliffhanger not knowing exactly what's going to happen there Uh, and then on the flip side you've got this really cool set going on in the warehouse um where Michael has invited two dates, two queens on casino night. He's dropping a deuce on everybody. And the awkwardness of him trying to balance between Carol, the realtor and Jan, his boss, who has kind of made this commitment to go with Michael. is just hilarious. Uh, I love it so much. So that's people can't see it. People can't see it because we obviously can't put the video on there, but this, but the moment where, the Michael's two dates are at the bar kind of awkwardly mingling and Michael is in the background kind of just playing around, looking around when he makes eye contact with the camera. That's one of my favorite Michael Scott moments, in the entire show. And it's so minimal, but it's so good. So, uh, uh pick, the, pick number the greeting between, uh, <laughs> Michael and Dwight, uh, with the kisses on the cheek. And that's how we do it. Paper biz, uh, yeah. is so a very subtle, great, great yeah. spot in that episode. The little whisper into his ear that Jan's here. Yeah. <laughs> Land Jevonson. <laughs> yeah. Okay, number three for me. I still got a few really good ones that I can go with, but for this one, Corbin, Adam, who are you picturing? A black man? Wrong. That was a white woman. Surprised? Well, shame on you. I'm going to season three, episode nine of The Convict, where Michael learns that Martin Nash, a newcomer from the Stanford merger, spent a time in jail leading to the creation of, in my opinion, Michael's greatest alter ego, Prison Mike. My sincere apologies to Michael Klump. The purple bandana lecture in in this movie is probably my favorite conference room moment of all time. It's, like I said, much like with anything that Steve Carell does, it's, it's comedy gold, Prison Mike, The Dementors, not from Harry Potter. It's it's fantastic. I might actually go back and watch that one while I eat dinner here in a little bit. Don't so give song. me the convict. Don't. <laughs> Oscar, you would love prison. <laughs> uh, this is tough because I, I got quite I got quite a few still um, still left um, for my third pick. I, I have to. Uh, this is hard. Um, I'm going to go season one, episode five, where the office and the warehouse play basketball against each other. Um, and where Michael thinks every black person is good at basketball until, until Stanley starts dribbling, uh, which is, which is incredible. Uh, and then uh, so that that's definitely up there on my list. 
And then, guys, I'm torn between two weddings for my last pick. Um, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do the the finale when when Michael shows up at, at Dwight's wedding. Um, for as, as long and as drawn out as I kind of thought the last season was, um, that did kind of just like it just it did make it kind of feel whole. Uh, I don't know how you guys felt, but like when Michael showed up, it was like this is exactly how I wanted it to end. Like Michael had to be a part of it. So that I, I can't not have that on my list. The finale for him for no, that's that's fantastic. And I, I think that they couldn't end that in a better way. And much like the episode that I'm about to talk about, I I kind of teared up a little bit whenever uh michael scott came in for to be dwight's best man so pick number four for me we said goodbye to the show in that season in that series finale corbin so number four for me i'm going with the goodbye michael episode i think it's one i don't know if from a pure humor standpoint it's it's one of the funniest but for me it's it hits home. I mean, we're, we were so invested in that show, and once that episode finally came out, we said goodbye to Michael. His kind of unique moments where he says goodbye to all the different members of the of the office was good. And then, guys, it gets me every time when he says goodbye to Jim in his office right there at the very end. And, you know, it, it, it comes out later when he was talking about that episode. Those were actually his tears. He wasn't acting on that, where Jim said, you know, you're the best boss I ever had. So that always hits home. So that's uh, that's going to round out my Mount Rushmore. So goodbye, Michael, number four pick for me. Great one. Um, I have the last pick, so I'll throw out some of my honorable mentions now. Uh, always love the client. Uh, that's I think the first time where we see Michael in the Chili's. You know, just showing some competence and actually doing a great job. I love that one. Is that your number four? No, 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 no. no. I'm throwing out some honorable mentions. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Before I throw out my, my, my final pick, I'm surprised no one went with threat level midnight. Um, I had it fun run, uh, a great episode. Hang on. Hang on. You gotta Alfredo. say Michael Scott's Dunder Mifflin Meredith Palmer Memorial <laughs> celebrity rabies awareness program, fun run race for the cure. For the cure. Yeah. I think my favorite line from that is you don't know me. You've just seen my penis. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm surprised that one didn't get picked. <laughs> um, the, uh, the Dundies is a classic. That's technically Jim and Pam's first kiss, although it's a little, little odd. So there's a lot going on there. Uh, but for me, my final pick is my favorite episode. And I, I saved it for last cause I, I felt pretty confident. No one else was going to pick it. Uh, it's Ben Franklin. Uh, you know, when Phyllis is having her bridal shower, they're going to have the guys afternoon in the GAI an hour long shower with guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Michael puts Jim and Dwight in charge of hiring the uh, entertainment, which goes poorly for the men uh, where they end up getting the, uh, the stripper to answer the phones, uh, but maybe a little bit better for the women where the scholastic speakers of Pennsylvania sends Ben Franklin who ties a cherry stem uh, in a knot in his mouth. So <laughs> that is my all time favorite. And that is my final pick. We paid you for two hours work and we're going to get it. <laughs> I don't have syphilis. Corbin. My name is Gordon. <laughs> Corbin, what do you have for your honorable mention? I've still got two out there. Yeah, I had threat level midnight was, was not honorable mention. Cafe disco uh, is very high on my oh. list. Um, I love that episode. It is one of the few episodes where everything kind of just kind of seems to go right um, for everybody involved. And that's obviously a rarity in the show. Um 
beach games I thought is is fantastic, uh, mainly just because Michael looks like the guy from uh, uh, Survivor uh, the whole time with his <laughs> with his outfit choices. Uh, and then when uh, they're doing the the hot dog competition, and and Michael says, you know, just just slide it down your gullet, and the whole office says, like that's what she said. Uh, you know, that was that was great. Um, I had the search uh, where where Holly goes and finds Michael when he wanders off. Um, Jim and Pam's wedding, I think, is one of the the good episodes. Um, I'm trying to see, I actually, uh, an underrated one for me and I'll probably end this one, um, is, is suit warehouse where, um, Dwight and, uh, Dwight jr. Go on their first sales call together, uh, and sell the, uh, basically like the men's warehouse, uh, father son duo. Uh, I think that was pretty underrated. Um, so yeah, those were some of my honorable mentions. Did I miss any Tyler? I had two, two on mine. Um, first one was again. I've spent most of my picks um, in the early seasons, but season two, episode two, the sexual harassment, where we got our first, you know, real good introduction, a good dose of Todd Packer, and that was kind of the episode where it was the the birth of that's what she said. Now, obviously, you know, Steve Carell didn't invent that phrase, but Michael Scott, that is etched into pop culture history because of him. There, there's not a single person probably our age alive that hasn't said that's what she said in, in, in everyday life regarding that joke. So that's a good one for me. Another one that kind of flies under the radar a little bit, but I really, really like it is the episode where Michael comes back from Jamaica sandals, all inclusive and the warehouse crew blows up the topless picture of Jan and Michael on the beach. And uh, that's, that's a pretty, pretty good episode. The corporate booty as uh as daryl calls it so that's that's a good one too but there's there's so many good episodes and guys there uh there's a reunion being being uh talked about it's going to be recorded and released on peacock so that's i'm super excited about that so hopefully they don't ruin it i echo that yeah i i don't think that it's a show i think it's more of like a one hour sit down with the cast like where are they now type thing so that uh, that'd be good to see everybody back together around a table. So even Toby, I, I would love it if every every year, every couple of years, they just they threw something out there, uh, whether it's like the Beers in Heaven song or a Threat Level Midnight Two or like something just to like keep things going, but doesn't actually like take away from the show. I would love I, that. I think that's one of the good things that Peacock did, which I mean, I signed up for Peacock not just for Yellowstone, but the fact that I can watch The Office now. And the more that you go into that show there's like additional scenes or additional jokes that they sprinkle into there. And that's, that, that's been pretty good. kind of gives me another reason to continue to watch it all the way through again for the 957th time. But uh, no, this, uh, this was one of our, uh, one of our better Mount Rushmore's a lot of really good content and a ton of episodes to choose from. So guys, anything else before we get out of here? Spencer uh, Sanders, well, third best QB in the big 12. That's all I got. Number three for you. <laughs> We'll, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm dying on that hill. We'll revisit that uh, here about halfway through the season. So, uh, But, again, appreciate you guys for listening. This is always one of the best parts of our week. We'll have a little bit more spring football uh, talk next week um, as the, the players and the coaches meet with the media a little bit more, give us some good tidbits, some good audio to, to kind of listen to and dissect what's going on uh, out on the practice field as OU gets ready for their spring game coming up here in just a little over three weeks time so that's gonna be fun uh, but again appreciate you guys for listening corbin adam tyler uh, thank you guys for listening and we'll see you all back here next week for another episode of the mainline podcast